Amen. Thank you, Marquita. Such a wonderful prayer for me, for our church, for those visiting with us. Thank you for that. Um, we've been led well, church, to already sing uh, Christ's praise as King uh, over us. And don't you love like sweet moments when we sing about infants singing and blessing the Lord? And right at that moment, there's some infants over there, you know, shouting out their praise. We love those uh, sounds. We love those uh, noises coming from them and pray that they too one day like we're going to look at this morning in our text would recognize Jesus as king uh, and recognize him as savior and spend the rest of their days blessing him and um, bearing witness to others. Um, I wonder if you uh, have ever you know, seen a, a famous person and all of a sudden kind of just like uh, got really excited about it to like you want to go and say hey and shake their hand or get their autograph or or something like that um this has happened to me um maybe a couple times but one time really comes into my mind when while i was at a&m studying uh well actually my actions uh, probably show what i was doing more of but the, i was at the rec center and uh when i went into the the rec center there were men in suits kind of kind of throughout the the entryway there and then several more suits following an older gentleman and he was going up the stairs kind of as the foyer goes in up these stairs up to the balcony where there were some like stair steppers and I was like what is that what's all about and the closer I got I was like that's George Bush that's President George George Bush in in the rec center and his presidential library was at A&M and so you know like yeah there was you know a possibility that he'd be there but sure enough that was him and I was like I'm going for it I'm going for it I'm, I'm gonna go stair step with President Bush and so I made my way and I just acted cool and I walked by all the Secret Service how you doing sir good to see you you know like just went on up and they I, I thought I was gonna get stopped they never stopped stopped us and we went and stair-stepped next to George Bush and said good to see you here sir yep yep glad thank you appreciate it good yep good workout okay see you later <laughs> and went on our way and I have been telling that story you know f for ever since it was just the coolest experience you know to be able to be there this person who you'd seen on the news and um respected and we're thankful for and all of that stuff and then he was there and then you get the opportunity to go up and and then telling other people you're like go back down to uh where you were you know playing basketball like he's upstairs and then they're going up there and at that point then no nobody else got passed you know so I felt like I had my opportunity and no one else got to go it was just a sweet moment and and if that's the case with President George Bush and I long to go and see him and be by him and and tell of others you know that he was up there and and that I got to stair step next to him and that kind of thing how much more so of Christ how much more so of Christ in fact the 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 crowds that are there uh, as Jesus is entering into the gates of Jerusalem are are, are proof that other people had gone out bearing witness about what he had done. And they too were wanting to come and to see this, this, not a president, but a king. They were wanting to come out and see their king who they thought was going to establish peace for Israel in Jerusalem over, over Rome. Who they thought were, were going to save them from the Roman rule at, at that time. And so... If my excitement was at a certain level for an earthly president uh, and, and a willingness to bear witness afterwards, how much more so uh, for these people, for, for Christ, their Messiah, who was coming into town? And, and how much more so for even the disciples and, and us who find out more information later, as our text said, that they had just a little bit of the information right there. They didn't even have the whole picture of what was to come. But how much more so us now would be willing to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and to worship Him as King and, and Savior, 
not just of an earthly nation, but to save us from sin and, and to be our heavenly king of a heavenly kingdom. This is what this passage is, is, is showing us. And if you're taking notes, what I would want you to, to note is that when you recognize Jesus as Savior and King, you will worship Him and witness to others. When you recognize Jesus as your Savior and as your King, you will worship Him and you will witness to others. And it's easy this morning. Those are my two points, worshiping Him and witnessing to others. And we see the first one in chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. Bless Him with worship. Uh, verse 12 introduces this, this passage of Scripture the next day. And uh, if you've been with us as we've been journeying through the Gospel of John, you remember that it, uh, you know, a few weeks ago in our study, but yeah, probably a, a week or so ago in the text, Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And many people believed in him as, as a response uh, to him, to what he had done. And yet, so many people were uh, hearing about this, and, and so many of the religious leaders were getting upset about people believing in him and following him that they decided to put him to death, which caused Jesus to go away from Jerusalem and away from Bethany out towards the wilderness in Ephraim. And it was there where he laid low for a time being. Um, but then he came back. He came back towards Jerusalem, back to Bethany, where we looked at last week, they threw a dinner for him and for Lazarus. And it was there where Lazarus' sister Mary anointed Jesus' feet with costly perfume as an as a act of worship, uh, worshiping Jesus for, for who he was at that moment. And it was that evening that was six days before the Passover, as John notes in John chapter 12, verse 1. And we said that that would have been the, the meal, the evening dinner on Saturday night before where we find ourselves now that next day being Sunday morning. What we in churches have referred to uh, as Palm Sunday. And normally we celebrate Palm Sunday, you know, the week before Easter in the spring. But we get to have Palm Sunday in October. Praise the Lord. Uh, what, a, what a sweet opportunity is the, the text has us. Now, here's the discouraging news. Um, to get to Easter a week away, uh, it's going to take us till next Easter in the Gospel of John to actually get there. So this next half a year is going to take about... Uh, or, or this next week of Jesus' life uh, is going to take us a, about six months. So don't be discouraged. It'll be a good journey, though, all the way through the rest of the Gospel of John. But John notes it was the next day, that Sunday morning, that Palm Sunday, and there was a large crowd that had come to the, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. We learned about this large crowd that had come to the feast. They had come back in chapter 11, verse 55. They had come early to the feast of Passover to purify themselves from their uncleanness that they had experienced uh, the weeks and months and year before. And so they had been in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, um, there were some who had been telling, who had been witnessing uh, of what they saw when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so this large crowd in Jerusalem hear these people witnessing about what Jesus had done to Lazarus, and they were going out to find him, going out to meet him outside the city, now hearing that he was actually near uh, in Bethany, less than two miles away and coming into Jerusalem. And so you have this large crowd that is going out to him to be able to see him. They want to see, just like I and others that I told about President Bush being in the rec center, wanting to go and, and see him at that moment. And so there's a huge crowd. And, 
And as they go out, they're going out believing that Jesus really is the Messiah. Believing that He's going to come and rescue them from the, uh, the ruling authorities of, of the Romans. Going to establish peace in Jerusalem and freedom of worship in the temple and all of those kinds of things. And it's a, as I'll describe throughout the passage, a childlike faith. They don't understand everything. They have a horizontal, earthly type of view of Jesus. As we've mentioned many different times through the Gospel of John, uh, of people's view of Jesus, uh, a physical rule, a physical kingship, uh, a physical peace, whereas Jesus was coming to establish something very different, not horizontal, uh, but vertical. Uh, and, and, and so these people are coming out with a simple childlike faith, uh, not, not understanding the full picture of things, and yet they're coming out and, and worshiping him uh, as such. In verse 13, it says that they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. From their words right there, we can tell how they viewed him. Uh, palm branches in that day and age, or, or in the Old Testament, were commanded to be used at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, to be used as a sign of worship to the Lord. But there's no mention that those palm branches were to be used at Passover, and yet by this time they were probably used at many different festivals. And in fact, they were seen uh, we know because there's many different coins stamped with palm branches on them. Um, so we can, we can understand that palm branches were used as a sign of victory, uh, as a sign of rule uh, at that day and age. And so when they're bringing their palm branches, um, they're both carrying over a religious act of worship and a hopeful political uh, peace and victory uh, in this. Uh, interestingly enough, the, what they say in that passage, we actually find in Psalm 118:25 through 26. Graham read a larger chunk of Psalm 118 as our call to worship this morning uh, in hopes of putting us in the text and letting us feel a little bit of what they were thinking in that. Uh, moment. And Psalm 118 is what's called a royal psalm. It was a, a kingship psalm, a psalm that was um, singing praise, uh, declaring praise to, uh, to the Lord for this Davidic king. And Psalm 118, it pictures King David surrounded by his enemies. And because he's surrounded by his enemies, he calls out to the Lord for help. And he prays to, to God. And then at the end of that calling out for praise, uh, he's then being saved by the Lord. And it ends with this uh, community song. It goes from I, I, I in Psalm 118, David saying, to we, 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 we will praise you. Because the Lord has established the king and protected the king, the Davidic king, we will praise you. And that's what Graham read for you from verses 22 all the way through 27. And it, that section begins with probably the most, one of the most quoted Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, stone, the cornerstone was a stone in a building's construction that had to be perfectly square, perfectly straight, perfectly flat. And as they would go through the piles of stone and, and cut and recut and all of that, they, they would throw certain stones out that weren't perfectly square, flat, or straight and, until they found the one that was. And in that sense, that language is then carried over to Jesus. They were looking for messiahs year after year, century after century, throwing out people of the past. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. And, and they did that to Jesus as well. 
He wasn't perfectly square in their eyes. He wasn't perfectly straight. He wasn't perfectly flat. And so he was rejected uh, by, by men. Um, and yet, he, the stone that was rejected would become the cornerstone. This is what the New Testament authors used to describe Jesus. And they said that it was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in their eyes in verse 23. And this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And the people in Psalm 118 would cry out, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And it's, it's thought that in Psalm 118, this next verse uh, would have been pronounced by the priests over the king who was coming to the temple to worship. For all of, all of the psalms around Psalm 118, 113 all the way to 118 were called the Hallel, uh, psalms that would be sung at these feasts. And Psalm 118 is kind of the conclusion, the final part of that. And as the king would kind of come to the temple, the priest would proclaim, verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of of the Lord. And so here are these people. They're coming to Jerusalem in droves to celebrate the Passover. Many of them coming early to purify themselves. And they hear of Jesus, the Messiah, who is raising the dead and giving sight to the blind. And they got to see him. And they got to go out. And, and they see him as the Davidic king, the, the fulfillment of prophecy. But again, horizontally, not vertically. And so they go out to him. And as this new king comes into Jerusalem, as they would have done many of the years of the past, they would have taken palm branches and waved them over. For this king was coming to bring victory, coming to save us, coming to give us peace. So you can imagine the, the scene and imagine the situation. Siri thinks I'm talking to her. She, I must have said Siri. So. Uh, I wasn't talking to Siri. I was talking to you, uh, just to be clear. Um, so you can imagine the scene as Jesus is coming into the, the town. It was ripe for uh, these people to revolt and rebel against the leaders the ruling authorities of the world, of, of Rome at that time. Uh, and yet they had this childlike worship, uh, this, this desire to want to praise Jesus, to bless his name for, for what he was coming to do. And it's at this point, um, after describing the, um, the blessing that these people are pronouncing on Jesus, the hosannas, that, that word literally means to give salvation now, like Psalm 118, verse 25. As they're pronouncing these things over Jesus, John tells us that in verse 14, Jesus had found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. And he quotes then from Zechariah 9 9. And here, just as an aside, I just want to, when we find in our New Testament quotes like Psalm 118 and Zechariah 9 9, those are gold for you when you're reading your Old Testament to be able to know how to rightly interpret those, those verses and to apply them to your life. And so make cross references there if you don't have them already in, in your Bible. But, but here, Jesus finds a young donkey and sits on it just as it is written from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And if I can just kind of, again, paint the picture for this. This is one of those passages that happens to be told in all four of the, the Gospels. Um, a lot of the Gospel isn't, and so it's not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so when we find this, we find other details in some of the other Gospels. And in fact, Matthew tells us that Jesus sent disciples ahead 
to get the donkey to fulfill the Old Testament Scripture. It just wasn't a coincidence. Jesus is doing this on purpose. And if we consider what's actually happening here, happening here when we consider why a donkey and, and what, it, what does it mean to ride on a donkey, it actually seems as if Jesus is preemptively striking against these people wanting to set him up as an earthly king and saying, I'm not the earthly king you want me to be. I'm not going to overrule Rome. I'm coming in riding on a donkey, not on a war horse, as many and most of the kings would have come in on in the Old Testament. Uh, he was coming in on a, on a donkey, a burden, a, a beast of burden, uh, an animal that was used to describe peace. Just think uh, about uh, you know, movies in the past. Nobody riding in on a donkey can really be taken that seriously you know, as, as a, a war a warlike uh, figure in that. Three amigos, for example, uh, riding in at times on a horse, but then all three of them on that donkey riding in. Jesus was coming in as a king of peace, not as a king of war. Uh, we see this in the life of David and Solomon. Um, when um, David was attempting to establish Solomon as king, when one of his other sons has already set himself up as king, um, David told his leaders to go and to set his son Solomon uh, on his donkey and to have him ride in. He rode in uh, on a beast of burden, on an animal that described peace. Uh, for Solomon had already been prophesied by the Lord that he wouldn't be like his father David, but he would be a king of rest, a man of rest and a king of peace. In First Chronicles 22, verse 9. And so when Solomon comes in, he comes in. Remember, David was not allowed to build the temple for the Lord because he had made war all of his life. And God said, your son Solomon will get to build the temple uh, where I will be worshipped for years and generations and centuries to come because he will be a king of peace and a king of rest. And so we've seen this before. And now Jesus is coming in. And when they would have wanted him to sit up on a war horse and come in and take over the city and begin to rule, Jesus preemptively strikes, sends his disciples ahead to get a donkey, uh, a sign of peace, brings it out to him, and he gets on it to fulfill Scripture and to squelch the, the uproar that, that is rising among the people there. And Jesus is doing this intentionally. Zechariah 9.9 that John quotes here, um, the first line actually see, uh, that, that he quotes here isn't actually found in Zechariah. It's, it's actually found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. And it's there where we find that language of fear not, O daughter of Zion. And this is what um, writers would often do. They would um, mix together several prophecies all as one um, that, that bring together several ideas. And that's where we get that fear not idea, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming then sitting on a donkey's colt. There from Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Uh, not the fear not, but rejoice greatly, which is exactly what they were doing. Rejoicing. Hosanna. Praise you. Um, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And, and who is this king? How does it describe him in Zechariah? Righteous. In fact, Jesus was the only righteous king up to that point that Israel had ever seen. Perfectly righteous. How else? Having salvation is he, Zechariah 9.9 says. Not a earthly, horizontal salvation, but an a eternal, vertical salvation is actually the kind of salvation that Jesus had. 
And he's humble. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. We can see Jesus' intentionality here. And while these people are coming to praise him and to, to worship him for the, just the, the little bit that they know, the, the childlike faith that, that they have, um, how much more so ought we to be able to worship Jesus with acts of worship like this and, and even more so than they did? For we know the whole picture. We know what he came to do in the coming days. Not to overrule Rome, but to humbly lay down his life. Nobody took it from him, but Jesus said, I willingly gave my life. He died on the cross. He shed his blood as the perfect Passover lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He didn't require another lamb to be sacrificed. He himself became that Pass Passover lamb. And he did have salvation. Uh, many of us have experienced that. And if we've experienced that salvation by recognizing Jesus as both Savior, then we need to worship him also as king. We need to be able to worship him for he's given us victory, not earthly victory, but eternal victory. We know the end of the story. We who have repented and believed in Christ, who have had our sins forgiven and who have been adopted into God's family, know that we will be with him forever, worshiping Christ around the throne. This is like the pregame practice for what we're going to be doing for all eternity. If you don't like this, then you're going to hate heaven uh, because we're going to be in the presence of God even more fully without sin um, distracting us and distorting it. Um, we're going to be singing praises with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language. We're going to be worshiping Him with all of life that we have there perfectly. Um, we're going to be doing this forever. And we need to be spending our lives, if we have recognized Jesus as our Savior, let us also recognize Him as our King and let us spend our lives as we sung earlier, blessing his holy name. Attempting to make a list of those 10,000 reasons that we sung earlier about. And when we get to 10,000, find that there's 10,000 more after that. We ought to be spending our lives blessing him and worshiping him and praising him for who he is and all that he has done. He's worthy of it. These people had a a small picture of it, and they were blessing him in that way. How much more so ought we to do the same? But they didn't just worship him. Um, they bore witness to others. And if we recognize Jesus as Savior and King, not only are we going to bless him with worship, but we will bear witness to others. That's the second thing I want you to note in the last half of our passage in 16 through 19. Um, the reason I've been saying that they just had a, a glimpse, they didn't understand all, the, all of what was coming is because John tells us he was in the same category in verse 16. John says his disciples, that means includes him, they did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, or that is when he had died and rose from the dead, and even more so when he ascended and was glorified to heaven. Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So John's kind of being honest here and kind of pulling the veil back. and being, I'd love to tell you that when this was happening, we all fully understood you know, that he was riding in on a donkey on peace and he was establishing an eternal kingdom. Not a, I wish I could tell you that, we, but we didn't understand that until he died until he rose. And John writing this for the early church then and, and, and it being kept for us to read now is just one example of how Jesus and his followers bore witness to the truth of Jesus afterwards. We're reading the witness of the, the Apostle John this morning. 
him explaining or detailing what Jesus did and who Jesus was and explaining with even more detail a better picture, being able to look back because hindsight, as we all know, is what? 2020. He was able to look back on these things and say, that's why Jesus got on a donkey. You, you guys remember? Oh, man. They were able to look back with that kind of, uh, of insight into this passage, and John's letting us in on a little bit. Praise God. Uh, he's giving us a little glimpse of that, and I'm thankful that John, every single day that went by, he recognized is Jesus even more as Savior and King. And the more that he did that day by day, the more he wanted to bless the Lord and the more he wanted to bear witness to others. And the same is true for you, Christian. The more insight and the more knowledge and understanding that you have of the Lord, it will increase daily your desire to want to bless him and to worship him and to praise him and it'll increase your willingness to bear witness to others and, and to tell of his, the good news of the gospel to the world around you. These things were happening for John. And, and as we've mentioned so many different times in John chapter 20, John says that I wrote these things so that you might believe. John was bearing witness to to them then, but he's also bearing witness to us now. In fact, for his disciples, as John mentions there, um, and others who would come later, they would have a Luke 24 kind of moment. Uh, a Luke 24 moment. And if you don't know what I mean, in Luke 24, it tells the story after Jesus died and rose, there were two disciples, not a part of the 12, but two other disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they were walking, they were talking about all that had happened this week in Jerusalem. Jesus's arrest, conviction, death, burial, and resurrection. Um, they're talking about these things, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up to them, but they didn't recognize him. And he shows up, and he's like, what are y'all talking about? And they say, do you not know? And he says, what are you talking about? So they proceed to tell him all of what he just experienced on the cross. And uh, they end up saying in the end, we had hoped that he would be essentially Savior and King. Um, but he died. But some women went to the tomb and they came back telling us that he was alive. And some of the, the 12 went to the tomb to find him, but he wasn't there. And Jesus, in, in Luke 24, he says, Oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then it's, the Bible says that Jesus, with those two disciples, explained all of the things that the Old Testament said regarding himself. All of the things. And when they're talking about that moment later, it says that their eyes and mind were opened. They had that kind of mind-blowing experience when Jesus was showing them from the Old Testament all the things that were talking about himself. And in fact, after uh, when he was with them, they encouraged him to stay for a meal. And when he stayed for the meal, he prayed, he blessed the bread, it says actually. He blessed the bread and he broke it. And when he prayed and broke the bread, their eyes were opened and were like, oh, it's Jesus. That's when they recognized it. And Jesus left them at that moment. They went to go tell the disciples, the, the 11 at that point, what had happened. And while they were witnessing about what had just happened to them, Jesus shows up to them. And he does the same thing. It says that he took the, 
the book of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, and he explained to them everything that they said about himself in the Old Testament that was coming true. They were having this mind-blowing experience. And this is what John is now doing. He's telling us about how his eyes were opened and his mind was blown, about his Luke 24 moment, about how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of these things. And he couldn't keep it quiet. He had to write it down for the church then. God has protected his word so that we could read it now. Uh, John's words bearing witness of Jesus as Savior and King. But it wasn't just John. We can look in verse 17. It says that the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So that crowd that was back in chapter 11 when that crowd that saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, they couldn't stop bearing witness, even at the, the fear of death. I mean, if they were trying to kill Jesus for what he had done, don't you think they would also try to kill you for telling of what he had done? But they, they didn't stop. They continued to bear witness in the midst of persecution, uh, in the midst of trial. They continued to bear witness and we see the fruit of their bearing witness in verse 18. Here's another crowd. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, that is at this triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday, was that they heard that he, Jesus, had done the sign of Lazarus. So the reason that there's a large crowd of people on that Palm Sunday at the triumphal entry is because Others bore witness to the truth of who Jesus is and what he had done to Lazarus. Might that be true of our church? Church, when we, week in and week out, we are sent out to be the church in the world, might there be an ever-increasing amount of people here to hear more of who Jesus is and to... Um, to hear what he has done for them, not because of our marketing, not because of this great gymnasium and building that we meet in, but because of you, church, because of you, Christian, going out to bear witness. I promise you, they're not, time has proven they're not going to come because of Pastor Graham and I standing up in front of you. But I promise more will come when Christians, individual Christians, and the church goes out and invites neighbors, invites friends, invites loved ones to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. First, inviting them into your home, inviting them uh, around your table, you being the first to bear witness, um, but then continuing to bear, uh, to invite them to come and to be with us as we bless the Lord week after week in worship, as we bear witness together as the church when we gather together under the preaching of the Word, under the singing of the Word, under the praying of the Word, under the, the visible ordinances of the Word in, the, in baptism and the Lord's Supper. We want you to bear witness in your words. We want to encourage you to bear witness in your life as you show it and tell it. And we want us as a church to bear witness on Sunday mornings. But we want to also have opportunities to bear witness that more might meet Jesus as they did at the gates of Jerusalem then here at the gates of the Y Sunday after Sunday. And so we have an opportunity this weekend, church, to bless the Lord in our worship and in our praise as we gather together to bear witness to our community. As our community gathers here uh, at this YMCA to share candy and to play games and to dress up and to uh, have fun with one another, we have an opportunity, church, to um, be a light on a dark holiday, uh, but even more so to be able to 
bear witness to the truth of Jesus, to pray for people in our community who have specific needs, to be able to um, share the good news about Jesus, that even if there are certain um, trials and tribulations aren't done away with that evening, that day, that week, that month, that year, that Jesus, though their earthly situation may not change, their eternal situation can change. For Jesus came as to not simply save us from earthly sickness or earthly financial troubles, but to save us um, uh, from our sin, to be able to give us an eternal life, an eternal hope. Uh, Jesus came not to establish an earthly kingdom, but an eternal heavenly kingdom. And so as we see both John and the crowds that uh, were observers of what happened those days go out and bear witness, um, we may be tempted to say, well, yeah, but they they saw a miracle. They saw Lazarus who was dead in the tomb for four days, be raised to walk and and talk on this earth. And if I saw that too, yeah, I'd want to go and share it as well. And I want to say to you, you've got the, the same earthly, eternal problem that the people did as well. Uh, that's, just a, that's just an earthly miracle. Lazarus would die again. And if you say, well, they saw Lazarus, a dead person, come back to life, well, you have not only seen it happen, you've experienced it if you're a Christian. You were far more dead spiritually than Lazarus was in the tomb that day physically. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. But the Bible says, but Christ, but God in Christ has made you alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. For by grace you have been saved. You have a story just as good, if not better, than the story of Lazarus to go and tell others. Not only do you have the truth of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, but you have the story of how it's transformed your life. That you were at one time one who rebelled against God, and now you are one who spend your life worshiping and blessing God. And now, rather than denying Him, Um, you are bearing witness to Him, to others. And so let us be encouraged by that. In fact, the impact of those people, um, those crowds bearing witness, caused the Pharisees in verse 19 to say to one another, remember, after back in chapter 11, verse 53, so from that day on they made plans to put Him to death, seeing more and more people coming to see Jesus, believing in Jesus, even with childlike faith, not a full understanding, but but believing in Him, the Pharisees then say to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after them. And and recognize they're saying that to one another. They're not saying to the crowds, you're gaining nothing by following Him. They're saying to one another, that their plans aren't working. We're not gaining anything. We can't get this guy. We can't shut this down. People are following him. People are bearing witness to him. People are blessing him. And church, when, when Jesus, in all the Gospels, he talked about the church twice. And one of the times he talked about the church he, he said of Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you're right, Peter. Uh, and on that confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will what? Not prevail. Just like the Pharisees said of the, the, what was happening among the crowds It's not gaining us anything right now. We can't put a stop to this. Jesus already predicted that. And and that's true of our efforts now. We may not look successful in the world's eyes this Saturday when we 
serve the community and serve the why and serve people and aim to pray for people and share the gospel with people and that kind of thing. But we know in the end that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and that all of those whom the Lord Jesus has come to seek and save will come to repentance of their sins and belief in Jesus Christ. Our job is just simply to go out and to find those whom the Lord uh, is preparing their hearts for. And so let me encourage us, church, don't be discouraged. Uh, Our efforts will pay off simply in the Lord's eyes as we aim to be faithful to Him, as we aim to proclaim Him, as we aim to bless Him in worship, but also bear witness about Him. So I want to encourage, uh, remind us that we have been commanded and commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples. Some of Jesus' last words use the words that John referenced there, that they bore witness. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells uh, the apostles in the early church there that they would be his witnesses. And that commission is passed on to all of the church after that, that we too are to bear witness of him and to testify of, of who he is. And to proclaim the good news of the gospel, the hope that there is forgiveness of sins by grace through faith in Jesus who died and rose from the dead. Church, we have this opportunity right now to do something uh, that we won't have the opportunity to do in heaven. I mentioned earlier we will spend eternity blessing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we will not be Uh, bearing witness to a lost and dying world when we're in heaven, for they won't be there, for it'll be too late. So let's spend the few days and months and years that the Lord has given us here on this earth doing both while we have the opportunity, Uh, knowing that when Christ returns, we'll only bless His holy name for the rest of all eternity. Let's spend these days doing both well, Consider who the Lord has put in your life that needs to hear these truths. But if you have yet to believe in Jesus, if you've yet to recognize that Jesus is the only and only Savior and King that can offer you eternal salvation and an eternal kingdom over a earthly salvation and an earthly kingdom. If you have yet to recognize Jesus up to this point, and maybe like those disciples on that day when Jesus came to them, maybe too your hearts, like theirs, your heart is burning inside of you. Seeing Jesus in new light that you have yet to see Him in. I want to urge you this morning, to recognize Jesus as the only Savior and King worth trusting in and worth worshiping. Repent of your sins. Trust in Christ to be forgiven of your sins, for He alone died on the cross for them. He alone bore the wrath of God to rescue you and redeem you. He alone rose from the dead to offer you eternal life. Trust Him now. For while Jesus came that day riding in on a donkey as a sign that he was a king of peace, the next time Jesus will return, the Bible says, he does not come riding on a donkey. He comes riding on a horse, a white horse, um, bringing the judgment of God on all who have denied Him, rejected Him. Bringing the, the judgment of God on all of those who have yet to repent and believe. Jesus came to establish salvation and peace during this time. And I would urge you to repent and believe in Him now. For, as, for when He comes, as is described in Revelation chapter 19, on that white horse 
there will be many who will be standing around saying hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Blessing the Lord. But at the same time, there will be many who will absorb the judgment and the wrath of God if they deny Him. So while you are still able, trust Christ today. Trust Christ. Find peace and salvation in Him alone. He is the only King, the only Savior, worth blessing and worth bearing witness in this world. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for sending Christ as both Savior and King, not to establish an earthly salvation, not to establish an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. Jesus, thank You for fulfilling all of the prophecies that were told of You in the Old Testament. Thank You for Your Word that um, gives us insight into Your fulfilling of all of those prophecies. It gives us insight into seeing why You're worthy of our worship, why You're worthy of us blessing Your holy name, why You're worthy of us bearing witness about You in the world. I thank You for um, both accomplishing that salvation and, and that kingdom and also revealing that to us. And I pray that You would help us as Christians and Your church to both um, bless You and bear witness to You all of the days of our life. And God, I pray that if there is someone here this morning who has yet to recognize You as Savior and King, that their hearts would burn inside of them by the work of Your Holy Spirit in accordance with the Word of God this morning, and that they now would repent of their sins and trust You and for the first time, bless your holy name. And go away from this place bearing witness of who you are. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are and all that you've done. And it's you whom, uh, it's in your name that we pray and we praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's bless him as we have the opportunity before we go out to bear witness.